In the broader picture of global outreach, there are probably many places around not just the United States but around the planet that might be considered more fertile soil than the San Francisco Bay Area, to be sure. In fact, if we can believe the research done by groups as divergent as Gallup Polls and George Barna Group, we discover that the San Francisco Bay region in particular has one of the lowest per capita church populations in the entire country. Only 4% ever enter a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. That includes the folks, of course, that show up on Christmas and Easter. So with all of that, when you talk about a place to go and plant a new work and to reach people for Christ, on one hand, the argument might be you've determined the most difficult place in which to do that. On the other hand, where sin abounds, God's grace even more so abounds. With that thought in mind, it's a privilege today to introduce you to um, the senior pastor and the global lead pastor of Vive Church with locations not only across the Bay Area, but literally across the globe. It's my privilege to have join us on the conversation today, Pastor Adam Smallcomb. Pastor Smallcomb, great to have you with us today. Craig, thanks for having me on the show. So as I suggested in my opening remarks, some of my pe- people might think he's either the smartest guy in the room <laughs> or he really <laughs> likes a challenge. So I want to kind of talk about your vision. And as folks will quickly learn, you come to our conversation today with a very distinct Aussie accent. Give us a bit of the, the trajectory here of your calling, God's work in your life and that of your, your spouse, uh, Kira, and your family, and mm-hmm. why you believe God, for this unique time, called this ministry to the San Francisco Bay region. Yeah, wow, what a great question uh, to kick things off. Honestly, um, if you're a believer in uh, the Enneagram system, um, you set a challenge. I am an eight on the Enneagram, so maybe the challenger does like a challenge but honestly you know just to give you a quick context we are 10 years uh established now as a church uh, a decade in we moved here in 2012 background is uh we're in youth ministry and my wife and i loved youth ministry loved the challenge of you know reaching high schools and young people and uh absolutely loved youth ministry but at 30 uh years old there was a significant shift where i felt like an old youth pastor but would be a young senior pastor. So really, you know, what was on our heart was to plant a church. And at the time, we're in a beautiful little beach town called Newcastle in Australia. Uh, Love and life, loving ministry, loving being around family. We're looking to plant a church kind of not too far from that area when uh, my uncle, who was in San Francisco at the time, he put on Twitter in beautiful San Francisco, but would love to see a church planted here. I read that tweet, Craig. And and something about that tweet was almost a, a challenge, as you just said. It was like, what if we had the, the guts, the confidence, the courage to move countries and plant a church in the United States? I didn't know anything about the Bay Area, to be honest with you. Uh, I knew loosely about the Silicon Valley. I knew about companies like Google and Apple. And as I began to do my research, I quickly realized that the Bay Area, specifically the Silicon Valley, is the center of the modern world. It's literally what I believe with all my heart. If Paul the Apostle was on earth walking today where he said, I've got to go to Rome, knowing that all roads lead to Rome and everything that leads to Rome comes out of Rome. I believe today he would mark the Silicon Valley as the technological highways and product development place where if we could influence this region, we have a crack at influencing the world. That's why we moved here. 
And, you know, that's so true. There's often the saying that, you know, as goes California, so goes the nation. As goes the nation, so goes the world. And that, that true sense of not only California being a magnet for innovation, as we've seen, much of the modern conveniences that we enjoy today, even our methodology of communication at this very moment, finds its roots, has its genesis here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But that aspect of being a magnet for creativity and invention and innovation also means that people from every part of the planet have come here to the San Francisco Bay region. And I, and I think there's something, you know, a, a tremendous truism in what you state, that mm-hmm. if Paul were alive today, he would probably look at the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley in specific and say, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts, as Christ charged us to do in bringing the good news, the evangel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in terms of not only greatest challenge, but also greatest efficiency in that if you want to reach every nation, tribe, and tongue, you can go out to the highways and byways, or you can come to the San Francisco Bay Area and discover that they're all literally right here. Yes, masterfully said, Craig. I think it's a a beautiful uh, snapshot of what we see here in the Bay Area. We, We have obviously, me included, as an import, you know, coming in uh, and ministering. What's, I think, fascinating is uh, even when the process of us raising support uh, in Australia to plant a church in California, it was a difficult journey because no one is a missionary to America. America sends out the missionaries. Uh, So to be a missionary coming into America to establish a church, what I had to help people understand was it's a mission to America to reach, obviously, Bay Area, which was at the time and still very much 98% unchurched, it was, I guess, a, a roadmap to the world and a pathway to the world. And of course, the other thought in mind there, too, is that, you know, where, where the need is greatest, right, as we said in the beginning, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And, and I believe that that sense of of looking at the San Francisco Bay region as an area that is in very much in the need of evangelism and outreach. And yes, America has, you're right, historically, traditionally been seen as the sending nation. But that said, we've seen a, a, a paradigm shift here in this country. I certainly have uh, in the last 40, 50 years that we have sort of slipped further and further away from our traditional roots, further and further away from that that original vision of America being founded as a nation that first and foremost would be a safe haven for religious freedom, for religious expression, as we saw the pilgrims coming, those you know leaving kind of the tyranny of the king and coming to the new land, to America, to establish a new home that would allow them the freedom to worship God without restriction, without constraint. But of course, we've seen a, a slow erosion of all of that. And so the notion today of now viewing America as a place that also isn't very much in need of being reached with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think is not only critical in terms of its timing, but also has that sense that as we reach people here, because our nation is such a melting pot, that yes. that it, it, it's almost a given that the impact we have here in the San Francisco Bay region and the United States will most naturally over time spill out into the rest of the world. Yes, no doubt, no doubt. I think if, you, if you're a historian and you like to study history, you're going to see there is 
always are cyclical movements or trends where even if we don't even go back that far and you see uh, moves of God throughout Europe uh, with great revivalists who were centered in Europe and much of what we see in the Christianity or the foundation bed of the Christian nation of the United States came from those European movements and revivalists that infiltrated uh, the U.S. at the same time as the U.S. began to become the model for, I guess, moves of God and ministry Europe kind of became more anti-Christ. And that's why, you know, we see missionaries coming from America back over to, to Europe. Now we're seeing again, as maybe the United States becomes a bit complacent, you know, Christianity becomes a bit comfortable uh, because, you know, through seasons where it's the norm, we now see Europe having a hunger and an appetite uh, where now we're seeing moves of God happen in Europe again. What I love about the Bay Area, even though it's seen as uh, difficult to a lot of people, the church always grows in a climate of opposition or in a climate of, of war even where there is stringent opposition to the gospel. That is where it, the gospel and Christians become fortified and real in their faith. So I am convinced, uh, Craig, that the Bay Area is going to be an epicenter for an incredible move of God uh, where we're going to see a great move of the Holy Spirit, a genuine, authentic uh, expression of miracles. Uh, we're going to see the prophetic. We're going to see, I guess, a global, uh, a, what I would say, a global and a catalytic move of God here uh, in the Bay Area because we've been under that opposition for so long. And is it, isn't it just like God to choose a place, as we've characterized, as one of the most challenging in which to plant those seeds. And yet I think God in his wisdom says, you know what, at the end, this is going to be a work that no one can take credit for, save my Holy Spirit. And I think if we look at this from a a prophetic standpoint, not not to go, you know, too deep down an eschatological uh, rabbit hole here, but, but I think if we look at it from a prophetic standpoint, we understand that in the end days, it talks about a great awakening, it talks about a falling away, yes, but also a huge harvest. And we've been yes. hearing for years now that sense of the fields are, are, are white already under harvest, but the laborers are few. Yes. And then we see people like yourself coming to the San Francisco Bay Area saying, I'm here, I'm ready to go to work. I, yes. I think that it, it almost should afford us a renewed sense of hope in that it's evidence, I believe, that God has not abandoned this nation that it's very much on his radar screen, and that at the end, whatever revival takes place, whatever renewal, whatever um, great move of the Holy Spirit that occurs here in the San Francisco Bay Area, God is going to be the one that will spark it, and he will take credit for it 100%. Yeah, I think it's easy for people to probably freak out on the surface level, right? When you look at a lot of the education systems becoming very woke, a lot of culture changing, a lot of real anti-Christian values being established in California and a lot of the the more liberal leaning states. I think it's easy to forget because if you just look at the surface level, you'll always be dismayed. But but you forget that there has been for decades and generations. One thing I've been aware of, even moving here and talking to you this morning. I mean, your your show is now what thirty three plus years uh, happening in the Bay Area, there has been a groundwork and a sowing of seed that has happened for many, many, many years that over time, keep watering it, it will produce a harvest that we get to collect on and we get to draw on. The question is, are we ready for the harvest? Are we ready to, to put the work in now to begin to see even what would seem in a dark days? I always say this, 
you can go somewhere and try and shine your light and it can be really hard to shine it. But if you just go somewhere dark, even the dullest light shines brightly. And in a dark region, spiritually, like the Bay Area, we begin to shine our light and it's bright and evident for everybody to see. And, you know, there, there's a tremendous truism, I think, to that, because number one, people look at these trends that you just referred to and say, well, you know, people seem to be less engaged with uh, traditional Christianity. They're not attending church the way they used to, et cetera, et cetera. And yet that doesn't at all negate the fact that there is that um, that God-shaped hole, that, that vacuum in every one of us yes. that yearns for a relationship with our Creator. And the good news is our Creator yearns for a relationship with us, so much so that He sent His only Son, that there might be a means by which we could be reconciled unto Him, be forgiven, and have renewed relationship with the very God creator of the universe. You just linger on that for a moment, and it'll cause your mind to explode. But, yes. I, but I think it, it's demonstrative of the notion that while there might be outward signs that seem to be, you know, the rise of what do you want to call it, paganism, you know, yep. secular humanism, all of this, and yet that fundamental longing, that fundamental spiritual need that is innate in every one of us is still there. It's right. just the need for the church to proclaim the truth, yes. to expose people to that light. And I, and I love your analogy because, you know, these days we, we hear a lot going on in the news and we think to ourselves, boy, it's become such a dark world. I, I liken it to coming home after an evening with your spouse and you come into the house and the lights are, on, uh, the lights are all off and you mm -hmm. think to yourself, it's awfully dark in here. What's the yeah. number one thing that we can do to dispel the darkness? Turn on the light. Exactly. exactly. So if we think that there is an excess of darkness in the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe the argument ought to be, and perhaps you can elaborate on this, Pastor Smallcomb, maybe the argument ought to be not that there's necessarily so much of an abundance of darkness, but that it is predicated upon the church understanding that what we really need here to dispel that darkness is more yes. light. Exactly. You know, Jesus made it very clear. I am the light. Okay. The light come into the world and I put my light in you. So shine your light. Very clearly different passages talk about do not hide your light. Do not put it under a, a bushel and hide it. Be like a city on a hill shining brightly for everybody to see. What I would love to see is I would love to see a mentality shift within believers to not be dismayed when they see dark reports in media not be dismayed or disheartened when we see negativity or we see, uh, you know, the, the different cultural, I, I would say, uh, backward slide that we are seeing, but to almost be uh, either excited or even a little bit aggravated to the point where we get serious. I think one of the biggest cancers to modern Christianity is comfort. Uh, I think it's the, the comfort, the, 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 the ability to be complacent, uh, but to fact, the fact that there is a dark opposition should ignite within us, keyword, ignite that light to begin to very simply, and you said the word, with truth, uh, that's how you shine the light, very simply, just by loving truth, hating lies, wanting truth to reign over every situation. As believers, we should love the truth and we should fight for the truth. That's what's going to shine a contrasting light in the Bay Area compared to so many people who are in darkness. Uh, my My faith is really simply built on the fact that I'm a believer 
so I got to lean towards belief, belief that the best days are ahead. Believe that God is able to break through, believing that the Holy Spirit wants to move actively within Christians today who are simply open and opening their hearts for God to move through. Uh, and so I think that you're, you're I think you're on it. I think it's exactly right that there is an opportunity for us to dispel dark if we just begin to shine our light, speak the truth and lean into Jesus. Perhaps one of the biggest obstacles in the church today to that very thing, though, is a sense of fear, uh, fear of the unknown. Uh, we see a rise in religious persecution in certain parts of the world. Now, anybody that's been outside of the United States and has traveled to parts of the Middle East, parts of Southeast Asia, I'm thinking countries like communist Vietnam, communist China, North Korea, places of this sort where real serious unto-death type persecution takes place. But I think sometimes people look at that and there's a sense of fear. Well, I don't know if God can sustain me through all of this. I don't know that I have enough confidence in myself. Maybe I'm not effective enough as a witness. Perhaps I I don't feel like I have the greatest command of Scripture so that if I try to share my faith with someone, what happens when they come back with an objection that I can't answer? So there's that. I think sometimes that fear factor that comes in that, that really becomes almost crippling, not only to our ability to share our faith with others, but even crippling to the degree of living out our own lives, our own relationship with God himself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting, uh, over the past several weeks uh, in our Sunday services, I've been, you know, promoting in service at the beginning of my message, our Amen conference coming up. And uh, we have obviously people who are part of our church in different countries around the world. One person in Istanbul in particular, which is a very Muslim heavy country. So her family and uh, people are not permitting her to be a part of church, but she still sneaks and watches wherever she can and joins into the service, even under heavy persecution. And she's confused. She, she uh, wrote to our online campus pastor and said, uh, why does pastor keep convincing people to come to conference? Why would they not? take this opportunity and they had to explain to her that a lot of people get comfortable in life here because for something to her that she would give anything to be able to come to conference and immerse herself in the presence of God and worship together it seems ridiculous to her that people would consider not going or or why does pastor have to promote this and I think you're right in when I've been in you know southeast asia ministering and there is great opposition to faith it actually produces a steeliness in the Christian, even, I mean, very strategic in the way we minister, but my goodness, their faith is robust. Their faith is dynamic. Uh, and they would face off with all kinds of persecution uh, just to be able to read the Bible. I think what we see here is fear of being canceled, fear of being ostracized. Uh, and it is still a real opposition. We're not, I'm not trying to water that down or diminish that. However, I think we do need to graduate that fear. I think we need to understand how that movement progressed to today you know it started with political correctness movements where everyone was too afraid especially men too afraid to get it wrong so men just silent it's better to be silent not say anything uh i've even uh one of my experiences in the bay area is i tried to open door for somebody uh for for a lady and uh she told me straight to my face i can get my own door thank you (laughs) i've tried to put a um you know i do a lot of flying so i've tried to help someone who was struggling to put their luggage in an overhead carrier. And I simply offered, could I help? And they say, I've got it. Thank you. And it's like you're met with every 
act of kindness is a suggestion of, of something. And so I can understand how that gets into the psyche of people to just keep silent, don't get canceled. I think we've got to graduate that. And we've got to speak truth and we've got to speak kindness and we're going to keep pioneering in this way, regardless of what we're met with. And there should be no real surprise here either. I mean, you know, Jesus himself talked about you will be persecuted for my name's sake. Right. And we live in such fear. Perhaps there's also the sense that we need to be reminded that we're, we're just strangers passing through here, that this, this, you know, 80, 90 years, whatever it might be that we have on earth is not even the batting of an eye in mm. God's greater scheme of things in, in God's eternity in God's timeline. And so yes. to see the time we spend here on earth as being critically important to being about the master's business, right? To occupy until Christ returns and to understand. And I, and I love that you've made this point because some, sometimes I think we get fearful of the possible repercussions of yes. naming Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we think that that somehow is a reflection back on us as opposed to him. And, you know, isn't it interesting to note that on places today where there's the greatest persecution, both institutionalized and, and politically, meaning coming from an official government body, the places that we see the greatest persecution coincidentally happens to be the places where we're seeing the fastest and largest church growth. Take China, for example. Yes. You know, China is not an open country by any stretch of the imagination. People get arrested there for things as simple as being caught with Bibles or distributing Bibles or being part of an underground church. And oftentimes you can see people spending two and three years in prison simply yes. because they're Christians in China today. And yet yes. against that backdrop, China probably has one of the fastest rates of conversion of any nation on earth, on average 10,000 people a day across this immense country with over a billion people in it, 10,000 people a day come to Jesus Christ in the middle of that pressure cooker where there's no freedom of religion, no freedom of the press, no freedom of expression. You can't hold a Billy Graham-style crusade without getting shut down. Even the churches that are sanctioned by the government Yep. are very tightly controlled, the three-self-church. They, they can't talk about Christ's lordship. They can't talk about sacrificing all for God. None of that is allowed. And yet there in this pressure cooker do we see the greatest percentage of people coming to Christ. And I believe in part that's because people in China see Chinese Christian believers and go, wow, yes. if you're willing to sacrifice that much, if you're willing to put up with, so to speak, that much persecution for this God that you say you serve, there must something be something really real here. There must be something very different about this God, and I need to know more about him. Yeah, I think you said it. It makes it real. I mean, if you're willing to face all kinds of persecution, my wife has had the privilege of smuggling Bibles into China, and her experience was, was exactly that, seeing the faith, that deep, genuine faith against all kinds of persecution in the believers there. I mean, they, they were smuggling people into hotel rooms to do baptisms in a bathtub, you know, just real hardcore Christianity. And I think that what we can, there's a beautiful challenge would be to go, when I do reach 80, 90 years old, and I look back over my life, am I going to be happy that I survived or that I got through without making waves or offending people? Or did I cause so much chaos for the kingdom of God? And did I, 
you know, overcome fear. There's that beautiful scene in Braveheart where William Wallace is trying to lead the army in and they want to go up and no, they want to leave the battle. And he's like, why would you leave? They're like, well, we want to live. And he says, live you may, but when you're lying in your beds 60 years from now, will you give all of that opportunity up to just fight for freedom for this one moment or fight for a soul? And I think that that's the challenge for us as Christians. Would we give up comfort and would we give up coasting through and not offending people to lead someone to Christ and see their salvation changed forever? We have to face off with some battles to do it, though. Does the church need to become more eternally minded then in that regard? And, and I ask that question, Pastor Smalkin, because so often we're worried about the moment what I have to do today, the challenges that I'm having with the family today, the economic problems that I'm having today. And we, I think, sometimes get so bogged down in sort of the, the, the worldly side of life, so to speak, the in-the-moment mm-hmm. side, that we're not yeah. really thinking about the bigger picture, uh, the, the long term, the internal implications of the decisions and actions that we take and make today. Do you think that's true? I think it's very true. I think uh, whether it's eternally minded, uh, even spiritually minded, I think uh, probably a modern message that is very unpopular is about the spirit realm uh, and the purpose that we, I guess, operate in, in God's eternal plan, which is for us as humans to essentially redeem that Edenic plan of Eden uh, and, you know, to bring heaven to earth. I think we, we focus a lot of messages on how do we better ourselves today. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm all for it. I'm all for, you know, becoming the best version of ourselves. I don't think we can do it at the expense of the big picture of what Christ's plan is in commissioning us as servants of the Lord and being aware that there is a battle going on in, in the spiritual realm and not to weird people out, but to know that, hey, I'm on a mission. Uh, it's important what I do today and with my family, but I'm also fulfilling the mission of God and of Jesus Christ to populate the earth, to redeem uh, humanity, to take back captives off the enemy, to win people to Jesus and to stand before God and say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant to fulfill my mission. And that is that eternal or even spiritual perspective for sure. And I think what you just said is so critically important. I want to you know, bold, highlight, underscore, italicize, put it up in lights. Because oftentimes, and I think we've seen this trend in recent years, where because of all that's going on in the world around us today, and and that sense of people, again, operating from a space of fear as opposed to faith, that we sometimes mistake the people that are around us as being the enemy. We, we fail to recognize that there's the seen world that we encounter and engage with every day, and then there's the unseen world in, in the spiritual realm, that there is a real sense of warfare going on here. But we don't right. battle, and here's the important point, we don't battle against each other as in battling against flesh and blood, as Scripture tells us, but our battle is in against principalities and powers in high places. And I have to wonder, from your perspective, particularly ministering in a, in a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, if we fail to recognize the spiritual warfare taking place here and 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 really understand who our enemy is and it's not the unregenerate next door neighbor who plays rock and roll music too late at night and really gets under our skin and so therefore we think they're the enemy or the guy that makes fun of us at work because we talk about going to church on sunday or maybe have a um, gold cross around our neck those are not yes. the enemy but we sometimes no. make them the enemy right. because we're operating in the flesh 
and not in the spiritual realm. Do you think that's true? Correct. Craig, that's absolutely correct. They are not the enemy. They're our prize. They're our reward. The people are the reward because they're captive right now. They're captive to the enemy's plans. They're blinded by the enemy. So they cannot see even if they wanted to see. They need someone to illuminate the truth to them. And yet believers can be too afraid, uh, you know, or, or too timid. When reality is that when we see it from a spiritual component, that's when you begin to get love for people because they're a captive. We're meant to bring them out of captivity into full freedom. Freedom is the key. Uh, that's why Jesus gave us the keys. I give, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose on earth and in heaven. And our job is to unlock people from being captive. And it's a spiritual fight. You, you articulate it well. Paul talks about it, 2 Corinthians 2, and all these different passages where, hey, let me make you sure, make you aware that our fight ain't against flesh, flesh and blood. It's against principalities, powers in the unseen realm, that there are these demonic forces, spiritual entities that are doing the bidding of Satan to keep people confused, to divide the church, by the way, uh, because a house divided cannot stand, Mm -hmm. to divide the church and, and ultimately to bring opposition against the work of Jesus. Now, as more saints realize, man, I do want to go to work every day and crush it. And my employer or my coworker may be a little bit annoying. I got to see through a new lens. I got to see spiritual, my spiritual eyes, not with my natural eyes, to ask the question, why? Why is there opposition? And what can I do to illuminate the light of the good news of Jesus so that they can be brought out of captivity into freedom? Uh, and yeah, if, if you fail to get that spiritual or supernatural sight, and you know, I, I feel like words we have to choose wisely because they've been tainted or painted with a different context. If you've been in church over the different uh, decades and movements, uh, but I think there is a redeeming that we need to do in educating believers around the spiritual dynamics. We're actually in a series right now uh, that we have provokingly called "Where the Hell Is Heaven?" The idea of talking about hell, heaven spiritual forces, the unseen realm, we begin to revelation. We're really trying to help believers get a, a robust perspective on the unseen realm so that we can engage in the natural realm. And it also sounds like you're taking kind of a back-to-basics approach, which I think is so critically important because oftentimes we, we, we forget about these battles or we fail to pr- put them into proper biblical and, and scriptural perspective or context. Yes. Yes. And, you know, the, the notion of, of occasionally being reminded of our own shortcomings, of our own frailties, you know, what Paul taught, and, and such were some of you, that we look yes. at the unregenerate and think they're our enemy, failing to we recognize, forget. guess what? We were in their same category once before, and in fact, the Bible reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And I think being reminded occasionally of that very fundamental basic principle, I think perhaps will help to soften our own sense of burden for others so that when we see somebody that we disagree with, whose way of living, way of thinking seems to be contrarian to everything that we hold dear, to not see them in terms of being our enemy, but rather see them in terms of being someone who is in need of a savior. Wow. I mean, I just want to put a, I want to put an amen on that, like an exclamation mark, because, and I feel like if we, if people are having more dialogue like this, like you and I are having right now, it would energize believers because a lot of our dialogue is about the pressures of life and, you know, uh, trying to make it, especially in the Bay area and those pressures. But if we just had some dialogue around the kingdom and the move of God, 
what it does is it energizes us. We're meant to have these dialogues daily with other believers so that we almost get what I would say built up in our spirit to run that next leg and to focus our energies. And it's interesting when you begin to dialogue about this, we're not getting more dismayed. We're getting more encouraged and built up, uh, being reminded. That's right. I got confused for a minute there. I got focused on all the pressures of, you know, sending my kid to college or, you know, what schools, you know, are we going to put them in? And I forgot that, hey, big picture, we're in a fight here. Let's gird up our weapons. Let's put on the armor of God and let's go into battle. And of course, meanwhile, all of this against the backdrop of the fact that that God wants us to prosper even as our soul prospers. The Lord wants us to have a sense of, of abundant living, that we should not be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, but at the same token, to be thinking about the larger pictures, you say, that the, the eternal implications of everything that we do in our day-to-day engagement, in raising our families, and, and kind of you know, the, the spiritual legacy that we hope to leave behind here when our time on earth is done. And in the meanwhile, God wants us to, to live life abundantly and 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 I'm I'm reminded, and and it, this is going to seem like a setup, but it's not. <laughs> I'm reminded that even the name of the church, Vive, or or yes. in Italian, Vive, Live, yes. uh, is demonstrative of the notion that God wants us to to enjoy all the abundance that He's made available to us. That it's not just right. about travailing and prayer and reaching others. Though all of that is critically important, but at the end of the day, there's also a sense that this is a gift to us. This time here on earth is a gift to us, and we should see it as such and celebrate it as such. Yeah, I think the same uh, model that we see in China with Christians, you know, being brave to face off with persecution. I think what we got to model here is life enthusiastically, living at peace, living with a, a confident knowledge that is confusing to the world who are perishing but how is it the believers can live life to the full, be so confident, so much peace, uh, because we've got Christ living within us? That's to live. Vive, as you said, so well done. Uh, and, uh, we have got campuses in Italy, and they, uh, they challenge themselves to keep it vive, <laughs> to keep it the same. But you're right, it's to live. It's to have life and live life to the full. As you kind of take a step back, it's mm-hmm. been, what, well over a decade now, since the initial church plant and coming it's from those just roots, a just a decade now, from yep. the initial church plant and then the roots working in, in youth ministry in Australia. And now you see you've got campuses throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. You have campuses in Chicago, Austin, Texas, Honolulu, Hawaii, Italy. What part of Italy, by the way? I'm curious. Rome? In, in Rome and Milan. In Milan. Okay, so good. Center and north as well. All right. Yeah. I, Northern Italian is my background, so I'm, I'm thrilled Thank to hear God. that. But, but to see the size of the footprint of the influence of this ministry, and now, and, and I want to kind of pivot to this because folks should be aware that the Lord has opened up a tremendous door here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we all know what California real estate is like. Now, if you think that the cost of housing is expensive, imagine trying to get a facility anywhere near a major population area in the San Francisco Bay region is pretty much impossible these days. Uh, And yet God has opened up a tremendous door of opportunity. So maybe you can speak to to what the Lord has been doing in terms of the campus here um, in, in the peninsula as well as kind of christening, so to speak, with a very special conference, the Amen Conference, that's going to kind of kick off or christen, as we say, the new campus. Tell us more about that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been 10 years of very fervent, growing leaders, mobilizing believers, planning churches. You know, when we moved here, we we moved uh, what I would say is old school missionary style, not your modern church planning movements where you go funded. We we sold our own belongings uh, to start the church. And obviously, we didn't have money to buy real estate in the Bay Area. So for the last 10 years, all of our locations have been set up, tear down and rented facilities. Uh, and, you know, last year, we were given an opportunity to to purchase a building uh, that was previously used by a church uh, and they were moving out. And uh, before it went to a developer to be torn down and turned into office blocks, the, the opportunity came up, which was miraculous, you know, to get any building that's zoned for religious use is a miracle. Uh, the gap was a ginormous price tag. However, uh, Craig, we experienced what I can only attribute to early acts kind of church where we had we had congregants even sell their own homes for us to be able to purchase this acts of generosity like i've never seen in my life outside of the bible where we had thousands of our people just come together in 40 days in a 40-day window that we had to come up with the miracle amount that we needed and of course god came through so now we are moving that we're 10 years we're now moving into a season where we're getting real estate we're getting property which is going to very much change the dynamics of what we do in ministry and what it can afford us in the sense that we are now visible in the landscape of a city Uh, as much effect as we have had in planning churches and expanding uh, i still have felt in the last 10 years somewhat invisible even in the bay area because we haven't had a even a sign we haven't even had a a uh, pretty much been in the landscape so you know when it comes to being influential I really feel there's a key connection between being in the, I guess, in the landscape or the real estate area, being an owner and actually having a say in the city as well. No, so you know, they, a- they, they say grow where you're planted, but you need to be planted first. And it sounds exactly. like this is an opportunity to really get planted, to put down some serious roots. And on a yes. Sunday morning, and, and many of us that have been with startup or, or new plant uh, churches understand the, the Sunday morning, pull out all mm-hmm. of the folding chairs routine. Yes. <laughs> you know? and, and that shouldn't be the first priority on a Sunday morning. So to be able to right. have sort of lay down roots, so to speak, and have a permanent home and then have a base, really, from yes. which the ministry of this church can can really thrive and grow yes. and, and reach with its with its tentacles in a sense yes. into the hearts and lives of people up and down the peninsula and and into as we were talking earlier in our conversation today pastor Smalcom into mm-hmm. some of the most influential parts of the San Francisco Bay area now right. being influenced by the gospel that's huge. That's mammoth. Yes. That that is phenomenal, and, yes. and really a, a sign that God, as always, proves Himself to those who are faithful. He proves Himself to be faithful. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I'm I'm so excited. I know our whole community is very excited about what this next chapter means. We're only a couple of weeks away from moving into the building. The 21st is going to be our first service in the building, and then that week. We are, as you said, uh, commissioning or christening the building with a conference. And that's been important to us to start it with a conference. It's a change of a decade for us, our 10th birthday uh, anniversary as a church. And we're really commissioning the next 10 years, being really centered in God's presence, seeking him. We're going to have some amazing uh, time together. And I think it's incredible to still have Christian conferences happening in the Bay Area. I mean, there's plenty of Christian conferences you can go out of the Bay Area, you can go to the South, and you're going to have 
Christian conferences everywhere, but to have them in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, we've opened it up. We, we want every believer to be a part of it and for everyone to know that they're invited. We'd love to host them. We'd love to have them, you know, just come in and experience the power of God. And who knows what well, God can do at a moment in a conference where you sacrifice some time and you position yourself at the conference. You're really seeking God to speak to me. And I can't even tell you, I'm sure you've got your own experiences, whether it's a conference or a youth camp or a moment out of your normal where you said, God, I'm going to be there, where God does something. He's a water. God is the water of those who diligently seek him. So when you seek him with diligence, that's when God drops a word, or he gives you a vision, or he confirms something on your life. Or maybe it's even a challenge that God will do. But it's in those environments where God does it. And I think also that that sense of creating a synergy for the local mm-hmm. church, because this is not yes. a one-man show, as, as, as you have said without saying, that this is very much about a body of believers coming together, serving the Lord, studying to show themselves approved, engaging what it means to be a true disciple of Christ and a maker of disciples for Christ. And and for folks across the entire peninsula uh, to come together and say, hey, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to spend some time in worship and studying the Word with a group of believers that can be that kind of iron sharpening iron experience taking place, and I think can provide a renewed sense of encouragement and hope to anybody who says, you know, I'm just looking for a sign. I, I want to know that God is still on the throne, that prayer still changes things, and that we can see God truly infiltrate the San Francisco Bay Area, reach yes. hearts and minds, and see this as sort of the launching pad for the gospel to go out across not only California and the and the state, the, the union, but the nation. And if you yes. think about that ram tag, ramshackle group of 12 guys, probably if you and I sat down and and came up with a list of who we thought ought to be the most effective 10 people or 12 people to launch the good news, the gospel across the globe, we probably would not have accepted a single application from from that group. And yet God used them with the empowered by his Holy Spirit to literally turn the world upside down. And here we are more than 2000 years later standing on the shoulders of our spiritual forefathers, so to speak, and just imagine now what God seeks to do in us and through this generation in reaching the next generation for Christ. Yes. Yeah, I mean, what a beautiful testament to the grace of God and who he chooses, that his power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, And obviously, I think, what a great concept to think about, that we are extending acts today. The acts of the apostle is still, still being outworked in the Bay Area today. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent for unity amongst the church, not for uniformity. I think we meant to have different looks and different feels, but we are centered on Christ and we're centered on the work of the apostles and we're still outworking that today. And that's what unifies us beyond stylistic differences and uh, changes or whatever. I think we're meant to be as diverse as we can as the body of Christ to reach the many. Uh, but I don't think that can forsake unity uh, and uh, I think what you just articulated then is that we're extending the work of God together on the earth today. What a privilege. It's so exciting. It is so exciting to be continuing this work. It's an exciting time to be alive. And yes. um, again, if it's all kept in the proper perspective that we're not operating out of fear, but out of faith 
and, and, and trusting in whom we have believed to complete the good work that he began in us and to then surrender ourselves to be used of him in impacting our Judea, Sumeria, and the, uh, the uttermost parts of the earth. I think God, God can really do a phenomenal work here, and, and he takes these things to confound the wise. No one yes. would think, gee, you think God's going to start a movement across the state? across the, the, the nation in San Francisco? Really? Right. Right. But it's those things which confound the wise where God is able to then get all of the glory, take all of the credit. So I think we're, we're really facing some, some exciting times here. Pastor, spend a moment, if you would, and tell us a bit more about the Amen Conference. It's kind of be going, going to be sort of the, the, the initiating conference of the new campus there on Leghorn in Mountain View. Yep. It's happening in our brand new building, uh, 24th to the 26th of August is the very first thing we're going to do in the building. We've got some amazing ministers coming. We've got Tim Timberlake coming from Celebration Church over on the East Coast. Uh, we've got a good friend of mine, Joel Cave, coming from Australia. He is currently leading a church called Glow Church, which is probably Australia's fastest growing movement of churches. Uh, they're also uh, you know, doing a global movement of churches, and the Spirit of God is all over them. There's going to be a lot of prophetic elements to the conference. In addition to the conference, which is three night sessions, you know, obviously where people are back to work and school. So it's three night sessions in the day, in the afternoons, we're going to be hosting what's called hype sessions. These hype sessions are really not just for faith leaders. Uh, they're for founders, business people, entrepreneurs, VCs, really creating an avenue where we can uh, listen, listen to some expert industry experts in the world of Crypto, Web3, what does this mean in the space of whether the church, uh, but also really focused on bringing people together. I'm a firm believer that you are one connection away from your breakthrough and that when you come together as the saints, the believers, you find key connections, relationships that can advance the gospel, advance a business, or really kind of help some somebody with mentorship. So one of the things that I've realized is that we need to create more networks amongst faith leaders, and uh, that's what Hype Sessions are. So, I mean, you go to the conference, amenconference.com, and it has all the information in there. And does a lot of this also create that sense of, of synergy in terms of marketplace evangelism as well? Again, kind yes. of going back to that notion of, of, of grow where you are planted, that some people look at uh, their day-to-day -day world, they see opportunities for them to reach others, they're in positions of influence in whatever their, their chosen career, their business might be. As you say, they may be, uh, you know, uh, shakers and movers and, and, and uh, entrepreneurs and things of this sort, all with a unique opportunity to do that growing where they're planted. So is there a strong element of, of sort of that, again, that marketplace evangelism involved in this too? Correct. That's primarily the focus of the hype sessions. It's connecting people with people in the industry. Maybe it's in an industry like yours or a similar industry where they really have figured out how do they actually be a representative of Christ in a secular world or a secular marketplace and just giving some insights on how they can mimic that or how they can actually do that as well in their industry. But also I think finding a network of friends, relationship who you know, some of these companies are so big, you might meet someone from your own company that's, you know, uh, a, a pillar to lean on and to connect with. And I think that networking is something that we need to facilitate as faith leaders in the Bay Area. Yeah, it, it's time for believers to come out of the closet. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and to to be that light as we talked about earlier don't hide it under a bushel basket uh, right. it, don't don't stick it underneath the bed out of fear but put it up on top of the stand where it gives the most light to the room 
And I think if we start to do that and, and really get a sense that the time and season of complaining about how dark it is needs to end, we need to start focusing on turning up the light. And as we do so, I believe God, as he always has, will be faithful to it. Remember, his word says I, it won't go out and return to him void, but it will accomplish his good pleasure. And if yes. we start to turn up the light, I believe that God will accomplish his good pleasure in us and through us. And we're going to be amazing to see what God is going to do. I pray someday we'll look back on this historically and say, look at what God did simply because we were willing to be obedient to him. Amen. I fully believe it. Folks want to get more information, again, about the upcoming Amen Conference, you can go online to amenconference.com. That's amenconference.com. It's also going to sort of kick off or christen, so to speak, a brand new campus located at 2440 Leghorn in Mountain View. It's a beautiful facility and right off the freeway, so ease of access for people coming from San Jose, the East Bay, North Bay, North Peninsula. It's as easy as can be and... All the parking is right there. So check it out online at vivechurch.org. That's vivechurch.org. We're so thrilled to uh, to see what God is doing in and through this ministry. And uh, Pastor Smolcom, uh, God bless you, your wife Kira, the entire team. Uh, congratulations on, on 10 years. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing good and exciting things, not only out of the upcoming conference, but this new chapter in the ministry of Vive Church right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We appreciate, Pastor, so much your time today. Thank you, Craig. Really appreciate you having me on. This has been a pleasure.